Genesis 25, Genesis 25. Title of our study tonight is Dying in Style. You know, sometimes people talk about living in style. Well, I want to talk about dying in style tonight, and that's because that's what uh, this particular chapter 25 of Genesis is talking about. A hundred years Abram had been living right. Now we come to the last chapter of his life and we find him dying right. And I want to say two things about dying at the very beginning here. First of all, we should all plan on it. Just plan on dying, you'll have an appointment with it. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. So death is as certain as your life. Secondly, we should prepare for dying. Since we're going to die, we need to get ready for it. We should prepare for death so that we will not be afraid to die. You know, know, the dread of death is removed by the Lord when we know Him as our Savior. And so we should be prepared for death so we shall not be ashamed to die. You know, the despair of death is removed by the life we live as Christians. If a person will live right, they will die right. If we want to leave as Christians without being ashamed, we should live as Christians without shame. John Wesley once said of his followers, Our people die well. When we look at the death of Abraham, we see him dying well. As believers, we should say, I want to die well. Well, when the last, uh, the last chapter has been written, what will be said of us? I want us to look at the last chapter of Abraham's life, and there are three features that I want us to notice here. These three features of his life, we should want to be true about our life when the divine author writes two words to our life story, the end. Notice, first of all, the fruitfulness, the fruitfulness he was experiencing. In chapter 25, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Simran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. We see two things here occurring. Abraham is becoming a husband again, and he's becoming a father again. Now he's probably about 125, even possibly older at this time. Instead of hearing the squeak of the rocking chair, we hear wedding bells... Instead of leaning back and enjoying his golden years, he's surrounded by preschoolers. Can you imagine being 125 and having all these little kids running around? They're yours. (laughs) It's about time to look at the nursing home. He was looking at kindergarten. Instead of wheelchairs, there were baby carriages. Sarah had been dead about 20 years, and so now he remarries, and he marries a woman by the name of Keturah. That name, Keturah, means incense, or she who makes incense to burn. She was a woman that added fragrance to all she came in contact with. Someone has said she was 
The Old Testament Mary, whose box of ointment, when broken and outpoured, filled the home with perfume. She no doubt brought a lovely fragrance to the last years of Abraham's life. You know, someone has said that optimism is a 90-year-old man marrying a 20-year-old woman and buying a house next to an elementary school. Well, here Abraham is over 100 years old, and he remarries. He marries Keturah, and she bears him six children. Even in his old age, in the closing chapter of his life, he's a fruitful man. And as we look at his fruitfulness, we see, first of all, a larger fruitfulness. A larger fruitfulness. Now, back when Abraham was 85 years old, that was before his first child was born, that is Ishmael. And he was 100 years old then when Isaac was born. And having children at 85 was cutting it close. I think he was in desperation when Ishmael was born. But when the second child is born at the age of 100, that's nothing short of a miracle. But Romans 4 and verse 9 speaks of his own body now dead. At 100, he's past the age and the ability of fathering children. And when God does something, he does it right. Here is Abraham, well over 100, and he's having children left and right. He's got a cane in one hand and a camel seat in the other. They didn't have car seats back in those days, so we call them camel seats, okay? Not only do we see him having six children, but we read of him having seven grandsons and three great-grandsons. Now here's the point I want you to get tonight here. His most fruitful days were the last days of his life. If the average Christian were honest, they would look back to the days when they were more fruitful than they are right now. They can recall a time when they were doing more for God and a time when God was using them and blessing them more. But here Abraham was more fruitful at the end than he was at the beginning. He started well, but he finished even better. And that's the way we should want to die, still bearing spiritual fruit till the day God calls us home. May it even be so that we are most fruitful in our life when it is our time to go. John chapter 15 is a great fruit chapter. Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go, for, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So here is the ordination of the nail-scarred hands. We are to be fruitful. And furthermore, our fruit is to remain. We are to never cease bearing fruit. Now this is also an interesting process and levels of fruit bearing that's described there in uh, John chapter 15. Jesus talked about bearing fruit. He talked about bearing more fruit. And then he finally talked about bearing much fruit. I think these levels of fruit bearing can be applied to stages in, the lo- in our lives. As a new convert, we should bear fruit. As the years pass and mature, we should bear more fruit. And as life has years of spiritual experience and wisdom, then we should be bearing much fruit. 
Jesus said in John 15 and verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. I read about Benjamin Franklin. You realize he only had two years of formal schooling. But at the age of 25, he founded the first library in America. At age 31, he started the first fire department. At age 36, he invented the lightning rod. At age 40, he was learning how to harness electricity. At age 43, he designed a heating stove that is still in use today. And at age 45, he founded one of the Ivy League universities. At the age of 79, he invented bifocals, and I'm glad he did. He was a conversationalist, he was an economist, he was a philosopher, he was a diplomat, he was a printer, he was a publisher, he was a linguist. He spoke and wrote five languages. All this until age 84. And he never stopped producing and making contributions. And so we find here a larger fruitfulness. Oh, that we would have much fruit in our lives. Secondly, a lasting fruit. A lasting fruit. Do you realize that Abraham's descendants still are affecting the world today? Abraham's fruit touches you and me. You take Isaac as cho the chosen seed. He was in the line of, that the Messiah came from. Our salvation is in one sense uh, a part of his fruitful life. You take the life as uh, his life as divinely preserved in the Bible. Right now he's bearing fruit as, as we even study it and as we consider his life. The fruit of his life remains. His life was a life of lasting fruit. I think of more recently than Isaac, of course, uh, D.L. Moody. Simple man, limited education, but oh, how he was used of God. On one occasion, someone approached him about writing his biography, and he replied, a man's life should never be written while, he was while he's living. And what is important is how a man ends, not how he begins. I think of the inscription on his tombstone, He's buried on a hill called Round Top near his birthplace. And his tombstone simply reads, Dwight Lyman Moody, February 5, 1837 to December 22, 1899. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Over a hundred years later, his life is still bearing fruit. His life was one of lasting fruit. May God help us to live in such a way that the years and generations after we're gone, we're still bearing fruit. So we find the fruitfulness that he was experiencing. Secondly, the faithfulness, the faithfulness he was exemplifying. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. Abraham is settling his will and his estate among his children. And in doing so, we see the disposal of his family and dispersal of his family. The way he handles things is for the purpose of ensuring the succession of the covenant and the safety of Isaac. He gives all to Isaac and gifts to, unto others. 
Everyone but Isaac is sent to live in the east country. And so in his actions, we see a life of faithfulness. In his life of faithfulness, first of all, we see him being faithful to the word of God. Faithful to the word of God. God declared plainly and repeatedly that Isaac would be Abraham's seed, uh, uh, that in Isaac, Abraham's seed would be called. If we go back to chapter 17 and verse 18 and 19, uh, we read there, And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Also in chapter 21 and verse 12, it says, And God said unto Abraham, Let it be not grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so in the distribution of his wealth, giving it all to Isaac and sending the others away, he was making sure that it, un- it was understood that in Isaac would his seed be called. Why? Because he was faithful to the word of God. Faithful to the word of God. That's the way to live. That's the way to die. Being faithful to the God's word. When I leave this old world, I want people to pass by and say, He believed the book. He preached the book. He lived by the book. I have a poem in, hanging in my office. It's not a real conspicuous place, but it's, a, it's there on one of the walls there. It's entitled, My Old Bible. And it speaks to my heart every time I read it. Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, Yet more precious than gold is this book, worn and old, that can shatter and scatter our fears. This old book is my guide, tis a friend by my side, it will brighten and lighten my way, and each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it each day. To this Bible I will cling, of its worth I will sing, though great losses and crosses be mine. For I cannot despair those surrounded by care while possessing this blessing divine. And one of the lines of that poem that really grips my heart is, To this Bible I will cling. Being faithful, staying faithful, remaining faithful to God's word should be our heart's desire. I think of one old saint who gave some advice to a young preacher. He said, young man, stay with the book. It's been my battle axe in many a war. It's been my lamp on many a dark path and a shelter in many a storm. Young man, just stay with the book. Stay with the book. And I believe that's good advice for all of us. Abraham was faithful to the Word of God. Furthermore, we see his faithfulness in being Faithful to the will of God. Again, Abraham is acknowledging God's will concerning Isaac being the seed of choice. He's being faithful to God's word and to God's will in his actions. 
Someone has said to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery. But to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And I would add one more statement to those words. To keep the will of God is the greatest pursuit. One dear friend of G. Campbell Morgan wrote of him, the dominant note of his ministry is the will of God. And I believe that the one desire of his heart is to ever live and work within the compass of that brief comprehensive prayer, Thy will be done. One of my favorite stories is the story of an engineer of the Brooklyn Bridge. During the building of it, the engineer was injured. For many months he was confined to his room and his gifted wife shared his toils and carried his plans to the workmen. And at last the great bridge was completed. The invalid architect asked to see it. They put him on a cot and carried him down to the bridge and they placed him where he could see the magnificent structure in all of its beauty. And he scanned the work intently. His critical eye ran over the great cables, the massive piers, the mighty girders. He noted every detail carried out precisely as he dreamed it in his dreams and wrought out in his plans and specifications. And then as the joy of achievement filled his soul and he realized that it was finished exactly as he planned, he cried out, it's just like the plan, it's just like the plan. I wonder, is your life just like the plan? God's plan, that is. Are you faithful to the will of God? Abraham was faithful to the word of God. He was faithful to the will of God. And then thirdly, he was faithful to walk with God. To walk with God. One of the clearest and most striking things about Abraham's life is how he lived every day and he took every step by faith in God. His faith was not declared by him, but it was declared years later by the writer of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 it says, By faith. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. Now that's the kind of life that God wants every one of his children to live. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Romans 14.23 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Paul repeats this again in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And again in Galatians 3.11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And then once more again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. You know, if the people of God would ever learn to let go of their lives and leave them in the hands of the Lord, it would revolutionize our lives and it would forever end the struggles we have with worry and with fear. 
Faith is not just for the super saint, it's for all of us, all believers, even you and me. Hebrews 11 and verse 9 tells us that the life of Abraham was a life in which acts of, were acts of following. Wherever the Lord pointed him, that's the direction he took. He followed the Lord. It would seem that Abraham had no life of his own, but that his life was one totally given over to the will of the Lord. And a life spent following the Lord is a life that will always end up right. Why? Because Psalm 37, and I know you haven't memorized this one yet, but you'll get to it. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. You see, when he leads, the destination is assured. And because Abraham walked in faith and followed the Lord regardless of where he led him, God abundantly blessed his life. He blessed him financially. He blessed him militarily, physically, spiritually. He blessed Abraham's family as well. Of course, this is an oft-repeated promise that Abraham had been given by the Lord. (coughs) The blessing of God upon his life and his family. And God promises to bless him, and God did just that. And I can guarantee you that a life lived for the Lord is a life that will not lack blessing. He may not bless you in the ways you want him to, but I guarantee you that he will bless you in ways that matter most. I think it's worthy of noting how the life of Abraham displayed a list of graces that are characterized for those who believe in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's turn there for a moment. 2 Peter chapter 1. It's not an unfamiliar passage, but Abraham and his life is a display of these graces here. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 5. It says, Who are kept... Excuse me, 2 Peter, not 1 Peter. 2 Peter chapter five, uh, 1, verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Abraham had all of these attributes in his life, and it proved that a work of grace had been done in his heart. By the way, we are to be abounding in these things as well. Why? Because when we have them in our lives in abundance, they make us fruitful. They give us assurance of our salvation. 
They help, us, they help prevent us from falling. And they give us a glorious entrance into his kingdom. But then lastly, notice the fullness, the fullness he was enjoying. Back in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 7 and 8. Back in Genesis 25, verse 7 and 8. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived and hundred threescore and fifteen years. And then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered unto his people. Now, the last words are spoken, the last breath is breathed, and his life is over. But it is a life that ends in fullness. Let me just sum up Abraham's life. First of all, in the quantity, the quantity of his life. Verse 7 there says that he lived 175 years. Verse 8 says he died in a good old age, an old man. Some of you have got a long way to go before you get to 175, by the way. That's over 100 years for me. Some of us think we're old now, but just think how old Abraham was. 175. He had been born just two years after Noah had died. He had outlived his wife Sarah by almost a half a century. God had given him a healthy life, a happy life, an honored life. But what was so great about the days of his life is that a hundred of those years had been given to God. Verse 8 tells us he gave up the ghost. Now there was not a struggling to stay, but a simple releasing of life that it came time to go. He lived a full and long life, 175 years, but when the time came to leave this life and go on to the next, Abraham did so with grace and serenity. Why? Because he had spent his life looking for a particular city. Not a city that could be found on this earth, but an everlasting city made by the hands of God in heaven. Hebrews 11 and verse 10 says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew that Sarah was waiting for him on the other side. Uh, he knew that the only way to reach that city would be to be with Sarah again was to give up the ghost that he did without fear and without fretting, without fighting. His deathbed was a scene of, uh, of peace. Everyone in this room has looked beyond the years to the day when maybe our lives will end too. We don't like to think about that. But it, and it isn't something we like to discuss. But sometimes I think it does come to mind, doesn't it? At least for a, a few moments. And then we say, I don't want to think about that. But I've noted that the passing years seem to bring the thought more often around. Yet those who know the Lord have great assurance that when we look at the day of our departure, we have the Lord's promise concerning that day. For us, it will be a time of laying aside the temporary for the permanent. 
2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Be a time of leaving the land of the dying to enter the land of the living. John 11.25 and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? It'll be a time of passing through the veil to stand in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I mean, nothing more than a departure from this life and an entrance into a new and better life in the same city that Abraham was looking for. Even as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And Abraham knew it before there was even a Bible from which to read it. He knew it by faith, and so do you, and so do I. Notice carefully that verse 7 speaks of the days of the years of Abraham's life. God had given him some 63,000 days. He'd given 36,000 of them to the Lord. We should want to give God every day we can. But not only notice the quantity of his life, but notice the quality of his life. I believe the, we see the quality of his life and the fact that he loved the Lord. First of all, his love was displayed. It was displayed all through his life. He just simply obeyed what the Lord told him to do. When the Lord said go, he went. When the Lord said uh, to do this, he did it. When the Lord said stay, he stayed. When he, he obeyed even when the command was difficult and when it was costly. He obeyed when every instinct within him told him do the exact exact opposite thing. And yes, the true essence of love for the Lord is that genuine love always manifests itself in obedience to God, regardless of what He says to do. This is a truth that is crystal clear because of the teaching of the Lord Jesus in John 14. We can say, Anything we wish about the level of our love for Him, but the ultimate expression of our love for Jesus will be found in how we obey Him. He said, if you you love me, keep my commandments. His love was displayed. Secondly, His love was declared. Again, as you read the Bible, you see the love of Abraham declared. But it's never declared by Abraham. I think that's rather strange. There's a lot, there are lots of people who want to tell us how much they love the Lord. Abraham really didn't talk about it. He just did it. It's a big difference. You can talk about something all you want, but if you don't do it, your talk is not worth what it's, what's being said. Abraham didn't talk about it. He just did it. The love of Abraham is declared in the Bible. It's mentioned by a name by a man by the name of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7. God himself talks about this man Abraham and his love for the Lord in Isaiah 41, uh, 41 and verse 8. Both of these references refer to Abraham as being a friend of God, a friend of the Lord. 
This means one well beloved by one uh, by another. Now you may wonder how I can make a leap from Abraham being called a friend of God to his love for the Lord. The answer lies in what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and John chapter 14. And you take these two passages together and they tell us that one who is God's friend is one who is obedient to the Lord. Those who walk in obedience are those who really love Him. Now again, notice here in verse 8 the statement, full of years. It literally means satisfied with life. He doesn't die an empty man. He dies a full man. He doesn't end life with regrets, but with rejoicing. Someone has said how few people really experience joy and satisfaction when they reach old age. When they look back, it's with regret. When they look ahead, it's with fear. And when they look around, it's with complaint. Another one has said, just as anticipation is the power of the young, so regret is often the possession of the old. So the Bible tells us that he was gathered to his people. Uh, This does not have reference to the grave. No, he was buried with Sarah in Canaan. His people had died in heaven, and in, or Haran, excuse me. His people had died in Haran and in Ur. Abraham was gathered to those who had died before him in faith. He went to that place where those who died in faith were waiting for him. They were all waiting for one another who came into their midst with some glorious news one day. When Jesus died on the cross, he descended into paradise with the glorious news that redemption had been purchased for all those who had died in faith. And with that news, he led them out of paradise and into heaven, into the glorious parade of triumph and victory. Somehow Abraham knew this by faith. Now you and I really have a better assurance than Abraham did. He, had to go, he was to go to paradise and to stay until the price was paid. Neither he nor anyone else knew how long that would be. Uh, they were looking forward to that event. They were looking backward to the, uh, we're looking backward to that event this evening. You see, it's finished. The way is opened. And all those who died in faith are immediately gathered home in the presence of the Lord in heaven. Now, one does not have to come to the end of life filled with regrets or an empty heart. They can come to the end of life with rejoicing and a full heart. And we should want our Lord to be satisfied with us, and we should be satisfied with life. If we live right, we will die right. Abraham shows us how to die in style. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the life of Abraham that we've been studying over these months, and we thank you, Lord, that even though we know he wasn't perfect, he was a man who was a sinner just like us, he made mistakes, but yet he was a man of faith. He was a man who was faithful to your, to your word. He was a man who was faithful to your will. He was a man who was faithful in living for you. And I pray, Lord, that even as we look at our lives and some here tonight, older, perhaps thinking 
that life won't be much longer here on this earth. We pray, Lord, no matter who we are, young or old, we do not know when our appointment with death will come. And so we pray, Lord, everyone here tonight who knows the Lord Jesus Christ will live a fruitful life. Today could be the last day. This week could be the last week. This year, Lord, help us to be fruitful. Help us to use our time wisely. Help us to glorify your name and share the blessed name of Jesus with others. Help us to live for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.